Hello and welcome to the Redefine Instruction webcast series, where we bring a fresh perspective on learning and development with every single episode. Go ahead, grab a cup of coffee or your favorite drink and enjoy a few moments talking about LND with me. Hi, my name is Sandia Lachenbal and I am your host for this series. Subscribe to our webcast or look out for new episodes on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or log on to redefineinstruction.com for the latest trends on L&D. In this episode, I speak with Donald Becker, Learning and Development Specialist with American National. Don has many years of experience in instructional design and brings a diverse background from K-12 and corporate L&D. In addition to a master's in instructional technology with a specialization in game theory, and design from the University of Houston Clear Lake and a bachelor's in psychology from the University of Houston, he is currently pursuing a doctorate in instructional systems design and technology at Sam Houston State University. In his time working in K-12 higher education and corporate levels, Don has been involved in implementing several innovative learning experiences for learners. His expertise in adult learning theory and passion for professional growth makes him a sought-after facilitator and public speaker. Don has delivered over 200 science, educational technology, and instructional design presentations at the local, regional, state, and national levels and has twice been a featured speaker at regional science-focused conferences. In addition to other accolades, Don is also a published author with several research-based articles in instructional design. His research focuses on implementation of gamification techniques to increase soft skills development in the workplace. In this episode, Don discusses various ways in which instructional designers can choose to distinguish themselves in the market. He presents a unique perspective where leveraging a university degree to upskill design skills can position you strategically in the job market. He also talks about choosing mentors to nurture growth, networking with a purpose, skills required by L&D professionals, key conferences to attend, identifies important skills to be successful as a designer, and much more. Stay on till the end of the episode to uncover this and other great advice from Don Becker. With that, I'd like to welcome Don. Hi, Don. Thank you for taking the time to speak with me on this episode of Redefine Instruction. Hi, good morning. How are you today? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. So, Don, I'm going to start off um, with your journey um, and where you're at. Can you tell me a little bit about your journey into instructional design and, and how it all began and where you're at right now? Oh, sure. I, my, my journey is, I, I find my journey to be, when I look back on it, when I kind of reflect on my life, uh, my journey has been a winding, winding road, to say the least. It actually started out with my first job. Oh, really? uh, my first job when I was 16 years old, I started working at Eckerd Drugs uh, as, a, as a pharmacy technician. And um, I grew up with technology. My dad worked for NASA. So there's a, I, was, I had like this old VIC-20 computer that was in my house at like four or five years old, right? Wow. So I, I've lived with technology nearly my entire life. And 
so I was very comfortable with it. And so when, uh, when I turned 18, my, the district manager at the time, he, he actually promoted me to, to being a district trainer because Eckerd's was beginning to roll out these new, you know, updates to their computer system, to their file systems, to automated phones, you know, phone systems. There's a lot of like, you know, we think of now it's like, it's ubiquitous, but at the time there was new things that were, that were, uh, that were beginning to come out. And so he said, since I had the experience with technology, I understood it a lot better. He asked me to go ahead and to be a trainer and to train all of our, all of our 40 stores in our district uh, about how to use, uh, how to use these new things. Mm-hmm. So I'm 18 years old. I'm driving to these pharmacies where I'm talking to pharmacists that are in their 40s, 50s, and 60s years old. And they're looking at me like I am the dumbest person that has ever existed. <laughs> they're like, you're 18. What can you teach me? I've got so much more experience, right? Right. And so th- that was my kind of my first foray into really learning and development. Uh, but I really found that I liked it. And, and, and once I kind of was able to build up a little credibility, they really began to uh, embrace me. Uh, but I reached a point in time where I kind of hit a glass ceiling at Eckerd's. I'm like, well, I can't really go any farther than what I'm at without, you know, without further education, things like that. So as I'm getting my bachelor's degree and then I do get my bachelor's degree, I'm like, okay, well, what's next? Do I want to continue in this or do I want to do something else? So what I ended up doing is I ended up going into teaching, actually. Uh, I, 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 I cold called every single community college in the Houston area. And I said, "Hi, do you have any positions available for an, you know, an for an adjunct an adjunct professor for uh, for your pharmacy technician program?" One school finally said, "You know what? Actually, this guy that was going to be teaching this class uh, is really really sick and is not going to be able to do it. He just dropped out. Do you think you'd be able to do this?" And I'm like, "Yeah, sure, of course." It's this is Thursday afternoon, and I was like, "Okay, when's the class start?" Saturday. Oh wow. Just give me a textbook and, 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 and a syllabus and we're good to go, right? So turned around, caught that class, uh, ended up becoming the director of the pharmacy technician program at, uh, at, that, at that college uh, for a little while. And then uh, I, it really didn't call to me anymore. I felt like, I, like pharmacy had kind of run its course in my life. And I'm like, okay, well, I still love teaching. I love the whole aspect. What can I do next? So I became actually an eighth grade science teacher. And taking all that knowledge of, of how people learn and then translating into, into something else that I loved, which was science, uh, was so much fun. And then, you know, it's <laughs> people find out that you're really good with technology and they're like, hey, can you help me with this? Hey, can you help me with that? Right. And then I get, uh, I get promoted to be an instructional coach. And then from there, I look and I move actually back into higher ed as an instructional technology coordinator. So now I'm taking that learning theory and then that foundational learning that I had of instructional design and, and kind of combining them into, into, into doing this. And right. that led me to want to pursue my master's degree in instructional design, uh, which then I got and then began uh, becoming a, a, an adjunct professor at UH, University of Houston Clear Lake and then running my own instructional design business for a number of years. Wow, uh, wow. Yeah, so it was, it was, it was just kind of step by step, uh, all these different, you know, this, this experience in learning and, 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 and teaching and all that stuff kind of brought me to now where I'm at, I'm a, I, I work for American National Insurance Company now uh, as, a, as an instructional designer. Uh, my official title is Learning and Development Specialist, but, uh, but really, in essence, I do a lot of instructional design and facilitation uh, for the leadership development program. 
Wonderful. That's been my journey. Wow. It's it's wild and crazy. That's for sure. It has been, it it has been a, a, no, it's a very interesting one. And I think this, this really resonates with, with the, the topic at hand is, you know, you bring your career has really culminated into all the different components that, that you dived into. You have the curriculum instruction, you have the trainer experience, you have the higher ed, you have, you know, K-12 and it all kind of, you know, culminated into where you're at right now. So I'm going to digress from our script a little bit and ask you, um, for, for pe- and there's a lot of people during this pandemic who are looking to transition, right? Who are coming from that K-12 or higher ed uh, space and looking to transition into instructional design. Um, in your experience, what is the biggest gap for people, right? There's def- they definitely are at an advantage uh, because they bring that curriculum instructional design piece and, and a lot of them are really good at technology as yes. well. But the instructional design in the corporate sector is a completely different animal, right? It, so, it really so with the strengths that they bring, where do you think the gaps lie? Like what is the biggest jump for somebody coming from education into instructional design in the corporate sector? So I think, you know, really it's, it's, it's a, I think the biggest gap what ends up happening uh, with someone transitioning from academia to corporate is uh, the, the style of communication. I really believe that that's because, because you don't have to worry about learning theory. You have the learning theory because you're, 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 you're an educator. You understand how people learn and why they learn. And so that's already got you 10 steps ahead of, of, of a lot of other instructional designers that don't have that, that foundation. But it's the method of communication about how you are working with, because teaching to teaching to to children, K twelve or even higher ed, teaching to students is a lot different than teaching to adults that are already in their field, because they already have a schema, they already have something a foundation to work on. You are taking that to the next level. You are working with a subject matter expert, trying to pull out their knowledge and then transfer it that can be that that someone else can learn from. Right. And so it's really the style of communication, I believe, is, is, is where the biggest gap falls uh, in that transition from academia to, uh, to, to the corporate world. I'm lucky, I think, because I did have that, that time period bet- from academia to corporate where I was kind of running my own business. And honestly, I was learning those skills kind of on the fly about how, I was, how, how to communicate a little bit different. I, I had the benefit of, of being able to do, I, you know, I taught a lot of workshops and conferences. And so it was... You know, it, I was used to, to talking that way, but now that, that was my only way to talk, it was a little bit of a transition. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that, that that's going to be the biggest skill gap for anyone going from academia to, uh, to the corporate world. Yeah, and I, and I do want to call out the piece where you said working with SMEs, right? Um, mm-hmm. it, in, a lot of times in the higher ed space, not as an instructional designer, but when you're actually the instructor or in the K-12 space, when you're actually working in con- um, curriculum design, you are the SME plus the designer, <laughs> yes. right? Your, your, your rules kind of gel over there. With, with the corporate sector, you are not the, the expertise in the subject matter. You are the expert in the design element, in the curriculum piece of it. Um, so you're really in that, that, that consultative um, uh, you know, advisor kind of role where you bring the expertise on the instructional element, the design element, the e-learning piece of it and all of that. Um, and the other thing is that adults bring their own barriers, right? Kids, yeah. a lot of ways Absolutely. are open books. They're ready to receive that information. 
with um, andragogy, you have that barrier of that affective filter in addition to the schema, which can be used to our benefit. So um, right on, you know, where, uh, where the gap is concerned that you have to kind of learn to work with your audience. That's where it mm -hmm. all starts. Um, so I am also intrigued by the fact that you went back for a master's degree in instructional design. There's not a lot of people. Well, first of all, there's not a lot of universities. Years ago, they did not have all of this instructional design in the master's certification program. Um, in your experience, did you learn a lot from your master's program or were there still gaps after, after you finished the master's and you kind of were left on your own to fill in those gaps? I had two incredible mentors uh, at University of Sinclair Lake. And they are two of the, the, I couldn't have been blessed with two greater people in my life to help me in this transition uh, in, 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 you know, in, in working with my, working my master's, working in my instructional design. Uh, you know, Dr. Brenda Weiser and Dr. Jana Willis are two of, in my opinion, the greatest humans that have ever walked the earth they are just the best mentors possible. Both of them were instrumental in really kind of encouraging me to, to start working on my master's. Mm -hmm. And uh, Dr. Weiser, is, she's more on the academia side, uh, academia focus, uh, you know, K-12, a, a lot of that. Uh, and, and while Dr. Willis is more on the instructional design side. So both of them kind of help foster, foster that, the, those, uh, those skills in me. And my, I, they they just brought out just it, in my opinion kind of the best to me, and uh, they really prepared me for 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 moving on and, go, and doing what I needed to do. I, I didn't. I, I I did go back for my master's degree after you know I'd been I'd had my my bachelor's for a number of years when I went back to get my master's, and so uh, I, I think that what I learned by getting my master's degree, and I think one of the great things about about the program that I went through was it was it was taking a further, uh, a deeper step with that, with that learning theory, you know, and going into the instructional design theory. It's like how to properly design instruction, how, how we can integrate the learning with the, with the instruction and to really create the best product possible. We, it was very little focus on the actual tools, mm -hmm. which I personally think is the best. I, I really, I really like that about the program is, I can pick up a tool anyway, but when I have, when I have that, that foundational knowledge of why something is effective as an instructional tool because of these things that help people learn. Right, right. I think that's really what gave me a, a, I think that's why that program was the best for me and allowed me to be successful going forward after that. Interesting. So I, I spot on with the, the tool piece, right? That is one of the things that people struggle with coming out of a university. And that's one of the reasons why people are sorting um, other resources to upskill themselves, especially those who, who've already finished their baseline degree, right? People who have their bachelor's and are really looking for the skills to get into the corporate sector. And the biggest complaint that I hear is there's a lot of theory and there's not enough tool and practical application. But you, you had that strength in you just from your prior experience. For someone who doesn't have, have those resources or ha doesn't have the experience that you had before you got into your master's, is there 
are there resources out there? Are, are there organizations that they can join to upskill themselves? And I think your piece was also combined with the experience that you brought from your training. Plus you had these two great mentors, right? Yeah. Which I think is one of the resources that people should absolutely leverage in their life is to go seek absolutely. out a mentor, right? But in the absence of those, those tools or those pillars of support, are there any resources that live out there that new professionals can leverage? So that's a great question. And I really think that uh, in terms of resources, there's, there's, there's so many out there, but I think the best ones that we're looking for uh, if, if you have the opportunity for those, I think LinkedIn Learning okay. uh, does a, found, a fantastic job of getting that foundational learning about the tools that instructional designers use. Mm -hmm. uh, I, think, I think it's a great resource. I think it's very, very valuable that there's lots of things out there to help understand the foundational use of some of these tools that are, that are available. Professional organizations. I think, I think being a part of a professional organization, even as a student, every professional organization has a student membership. Mm -hmm. And finding those ones that are, that are the best for you and where your path wants to take you as an instructional designer. Because you can be an instructional designer in academia uh, as well as in the corporate world. So right. finding those professional organizations um, and uh, I mean, ATD is an absolutely fantastic one, I believe. Uh, it works for both academia and, and the corporate world. If you're going to say continuing in the corporate world, I think, um, I think the Learning Guild is a fantastic one as well. They, they, you know, it's a free membership and they've got online conferences and things like that. I think that's a great one. Um, if you're staying more towards academia, SITE, SITE is, is a great conference. It's a, it's a society of informational technology and teaching and education. Uh, absolutely outstanding, but, but that's more academia focused. Interesting. And, Thank you. And there's, yeah. oh, and just, no, oh, no, yeah, no, and, go and, ahead. Go ahead. Oh, <laughs> I'm just making note of all these wonderful resources that even I wasn't aware yeah. of. Sure. And, and then there's a, um, there's another organization. It's called uh, A, oh, hold on. I'm going to get a, a -E -C -T. Yes. Um, yes. I uh, love I, that I, organization. I, I love that. You know, the, the, the Journal of Applied Instructional Design that is that is it. If you're a new person that's trying to get into that, that tells you how people are using those theories in practice and, and are writing about it, telling you about the successes and failures of what they're doing. And so I think that even, even if you're not in academia, I think being able to, 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 to use that as a resource to really as a, as a learning tool, I think is absolutely fantastic. So those wow. are that's just a small sampling of the of the resources that, that I kind of go to. I'm calling it incredible. <laughs> You've got an entire list going from me here. And I was aware of some of them, but you've identified some new ones. So this is great, Don. Thank you. So sure. let's, um, let's pivot to a, the skills part of it, right? There are some critical sure. skills that, um, that are basically needed to work as a designer, right? The curriculum piece is one, the tools piece is another, but it's, it's really the pieces of the puzzle, right? If you were to do a 360 degree view of all the skills that a designer would need to be successful in their job, what are some of those skills? Can you identify them for me? Uh, yeah, I think that's, I think the essential, the core tools uh, I think you can probably break it down into four things. Okay. Is number one, having a solid foundation of learning theory. Uh, number two, strong project management skills. Uh, number three, 
communication, so communication skills. And then the last one is critical thinking skills. I, I, I think those are probably the four essential tools, uh, four essential skills that an instructional designer needs to be successful. I mean, understanding the learning theory, how people learn. I mean, your job, I mean, it's in the title, instruction, instructional design. You have to, you know, have to know how people learn so that way you can design something that's going to maximize that learning. Right. right. Uh, you know, project management, you know, being able to, you know, as an instructional designer, you got multiple, multiple balls in the air. I currently, at this exact moment, I'm working on nine projects. Wow. And that's a lot of stuff to manage. And so you have to be able to be organized and manage those, manage those projects. So that way nothing falls through the cracks. Right. right. Communication. I mean, we mentioned it earlier, you know, how to talk to someone, what's the best way to communicate. Uh, yeah, I, I, and, and communicate, you're communicating with, with peers, with leaders, with subject matter experts, with external partners, internal partners, there's a plethora of people that you're going to be talking to. Uh, and you need to be able to get that information out that you need to create the best learning possible because nothing, it, it, it is just terrible when you think you've got everything and it's like, oh no, I've got this big hole here. Now I need to go back to the subject matter expert and ask them you know, more questions. And maybe you're not asking the right questions to get the right answer. Then you're not going to be create something. You're not going to create something that's going to be the most effective. Right. So and that's another one of those skills, uh, questioning skills, right? Yeah. To get the rest right uh, information. Yes. That needs analysis is just the, <laughs> that's the foundation for what you're going to be doing. You exactly. got to ask the right questions so you can get the right answers. Exactly. Exactly. And, and also to bring out the fact that you identified so many of these stakeholders, each one of them speak a different language, right? The way you that's speak exactly. to a leader would be way different from where you would speak to a subject matter expert who is on the ground giving the information at the grassroots levels versus a leader would probably want maybe five bullets of high level, 30,000 foot view, right? Yeah, that's exactly it. Like what the information and, and the length of time that you have available to talk to someone, to a subject matter expert, it's going to be a lot different than what you're going to have to talk to you know, a vice president. Right. You know, you got, you know, 15 minutes maybe versus like an hour. Right. So, right. 15 yeah. minutes is on the higher side. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes. You're, you're lucky if you get 15 minutes. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and I, I, the way I like to put it is, Instructional design is half the piece of the pie. The other half is your SME and your experts that live on the other end, because I won't Absolutely. be able to do the job without both the pieces of, of the puzzle. That's right. um, it has to be a symbiotic relationship. It has exactly. To be. And a lot of times as adults, because of the filters that you bring, people are not forthcoming with that information. And that's where your questioning skills, your relationship building, your repo comes in um, mm -hmm. to how to work that personality to get the information that you need in the time that you've been given, right? <laughs> yeah. Lots of constraints. Um, Sometimes that timeline, something like that timeline is really, really tight. Exactly, exactly. Um, so in the pandemic, a lot of people are kind of gravitated towards this, this L&D space. Um, Question number one, is there a demand for instructional designers in the market? And if there is, are there certain industries that are demanding designers more or are, are kind of gearing up towards L&D more versus the others? That's a great question. And uh, judging by my LinkedIn, yes, there is a demand for instructional designers. I probably get uh, at least a message a week from people that is like, hey, you know, we'd be interested, you know, would you mind applying for this job? We'd be interested in you. So, you know. You, know, you get those messages on a regular basis. I mean, I actually am on LinkedIn right now and I just did search for instructional designer jobs. There are currently 6,205 in the United States. Oh, wow. And even just looking at some of the, uh, 
at some of the some of the industries that's looking for it. I'm looking at Amazon, Tesla, uh, Salesforce. Uh, I, I see numerous universities. I'm starting to see K-12 as well. I think that's been one of the biggest biggest changes mm -hmm. is the need for an instructional designer in the K-12 arena. As I mentioned earlier, you know, you know, it was a decade ago I was working as an instructional technology coach mm -hmm. uh, in the K-12 arena, and I was looked at like I was speaking a foreign language. No, we'll never need any of this. We'll never need to have, have this. You know, I can, design, I can design my courses, et cetera, et cetera. Well, when this pandemic hits, you know, how we design that hybrid type of learning or that online type of learning you know, teachers are experts on creating their curriculum, developing their curriculum, teaching their curriculum. Right. But how to translate that into self-paced online learning or things like that, that's not a skill that they've needed to develop. Mm -hmm. and, and because of the pandemic and the transition now of, of being, you know, maybe not all, not all the time face-to-face -face learning, hybrid learning, or just straight online learning, I, I, you're starting to see a lot more of a demand in the in the K-12 space as well for instructional designers. Um, but as I'm looking at this, there's in industries, every industry that I can see here uh, is is looking for some kind of instructional designer. There's there's automotive dealerships that are looking for for <laughs> instructional designers. I never would have imagined that. Right, right. So it's a there is a lot of demand out there for the skills that that we as instructional designers can bring can bring to an organization. Right, right. Um... Yeah, interesting. You brought up the automotive industry. Um, we went to, we had to replace a car last year. And um, oh. as I was test driving the car, he, you know, the guy says, okay, so what do you do for a living? Like I'm an, uh, an instructional design can be a hard job to describe to someone, right? Oh, oh, yeah. So I have figured out a workaround. Like, you know how when you when you were hired into your position, you had to take all of these trainings to upskill yourself? He's like, yeah, you had to sit on the computer and you take a bunch of courses. I'm like, yeah, I designed those courses. And for a minute, he's like, for real? I'm like, yes, for real. Like, this is a real job. <laughs> yeah, so, somebody exa had to do it. Exactly. So yeah, I mean, it's interesting you bring up the car industry because all of those, those fun videos that you watch and user um, user guides that are in the video format that is done in the background by people like you and me. <laughs> we, exactly. we sit and do it day in, day out. And it's more than just playing with the tools. There's much more to that job. Like it, that's just the tip of oh, the iceberg. Sure. Um, so I'm going to give you one final question uh, okay. for people who are, um, you know, students or new professionals. Uh, are there any big conferences that you would recommend, um, you know, where they can go out and network? And maybe I can throw in and make it a two part question. Is there a meaningful way that people can network, whether in or outside of those conferences? Oh, wow. That's a loaded question. How much time, how much time do you have for me to give you this? Answer? Well, you have, so, you have about all day. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, I think uh, there are a couple different specifically network. I'll, I'll address them one at a time because I think that one definitely leads into the other. Right. We're looking at networking. Uh, LinkedIn. Absolutely. I think okay. is a great way. There are, there are tons of instructional designers out there, you know, you know learning development specialists. I have, you know, in my recommendations right now, I see there's 20 people just right there in that box that, that I could connect with right now that are in the same job role as me or the same job role that I, I, I want to be, you know, whatever I'm looking for. So definitely LinkedIn. 
uh, professional organizations, again, like I said, you know, you know ATD, uh, uh, AECT, uh, all those different things that I think are, are fantastic because they all have student memberships and they all have networking events as well. So, you know, because, you know, ATD has, you know, a, a meeting about, you know, some, some sort of professional development or something like that that meets very regularly, for example. Attend one of those and just start talking to people and start looking. It, it, being able to, to network, to, to advocate for yourself, I think is a big thing. Right. You know, because, you know, we can go to as many networking events as we want, but if we don't talk to anybody, what value does it have? Right. You have to be able to advocate for yourself and go out and actually talk to people. Uh, and the best way to do those networking is not only being a part of those memberships, but then also going to the conferences that are tied to those memberships as well, because then you instantly, you already have something in common because you're a part of the same organization. And now you have at least a starting point to talk up because you're in your field, right? So ATD 21, uh, the, the upcoming you know, conference, you know, it's going to be face-to-face now versus last year being virtual. I, or Actually, it's going to be a mix. Um, so I think right. that's an outstanding conference. Uh, my favorite conference as an instructional designer is DevLearn. I, I went in 2019. Of course, I couldn't go in 2020. Uh, but I went in 2019, and it was just absolutely the most incredible for developing skills of any conference that I had gone to. And this is even as my time as a teacher as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I got so many great ideas, just lists and pages and pages of notes that I took uh, to develop myself. Uh, if, you're, if you're wanting to stay towards the academia, like I mentioned earlier, Site uh, is an absolutely magnificent conference. And if you're lucky enough to even try to write a paper to get it, to get it presented there, that's even better. You know, I, I went, I actually went to a site in 2019. I was, I was blessed to actually be able to present a paper there uh, and, and to be able to network with other people that have that same kind of higher education perspective and thoughts you know, on developing that learning theory and instructional design theory uh, was outstanding. You know, I, I felt home. It was, it was just great to, to, to network with those people uh, during that time. So I think for anyone that's interested in networking and, and, and conferences and wanting to grow, I think that's a great starting point is, is those that I've mentioned. Okay, wonderful, wonderful. Don, uh, thank you for taking the time to speak with me. I think there, any one of these topics, we could go on for hours and I would love <laughs> to pick your brain on any one of them, but I would love to have you come back for another episode and thank you for speaking with me and my audience today. Sure, I would love to come back anytime. Thank you for listening to the Redefine Instruction webcast series. We welcome feedback. Leave a comment or question on any of our social media pages. We look forward to hearing from you. Until then, stay tuned for the next episode.